Grace, the Amy Santiago of Royal Bloggers. And I'm Jessica, the Dorothy's Boring app of Royal Bloggers. And we'd like to welcome you to On Air, the podcast where two cynical Brits discuss the latest royal news and the truth behind the story. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the On Air podcast. We have, I mean, for us, it's breaking news because it's literally just happened. Of course, the first thing that we're going to be talking about is the, I was about to say long awaited. Um, <laughs> Recently surprised. <laughs> yeah, um, the two week awaited abdication of Queen Margrethe of Denmark. So, I mean, first thing to say before I kick off on any of the actual content of the event was I had to get up at 12 <laughs> to be able to watch this, which for me on a weekend, getting up at 12 is it's unfathomable. It's like what normal people would think getting up at, you know, 4 a.m. is like. Um, and I would like to pitch for more nighttime events. <laughs> so my, and I think my pitch is really strong. I was actually thinking about this. If you imagine the coronation in the UK, imagine the procession in the dark, but it's lit with like torches, like flame torches, not LED torches. Like that would be so cool. That would look so, everything would look so much cooler in the dark. Yeah, exactly. With fire um yeah so that's my pitch anyway is that more royals should have things at night so the first part of the event was a procession where um the queen and the crown princess family left their home in uh, amalienborg which is kind of like it's, it's a weird like four buildings around a courtyard the crown princess family left in a car um, well, the crown prince and crown princess and then C Prince Christian and his siblings left in cars and then Margrethe left in a carriage. So, OK, I'm going to start off positively. OK. And say that there were huge, huge crowds. I saw people like queuing up outside really early this morning. Well, not really early. And I was like, oh, like that's a lot of people. It looks quite grey and rainy and a lot mm. of it's like inside stuff. That's quite impressive. Um. And then as it went on, I was like, oh, these crowds, they are packed. <laughs> They've all turned up. Like, this is the Leonor mania, but Frederick mania. You know, always take it with a pinch of salt because it, crowds of people tend to look big um, <laughs> by their nature. Uh, but still, you know, it clearly felt like an event that loads of Danish people were attending and that was very much like the national focus. So, I'm yeah, and the reason that I, I thought that, that was a good positive to start off with is because it also does lead me into my first negative, which is that I got to see the crowds a lot. We didn't see any of the royals. Um, it was like you could see these little tiny cars and tops of buildings and crowds. <laughs> Zoom in a bit. Come on, guys. I don't know how the... I mean, I only really watch, like, processions in Britain, but, like, at least somehow they managed to zoom through the windows and you get a glance of someone's shoulder. As soon as they came out and they were in a car... I immediately thought, oh, it's always much harder to see. When you're in a closed top car, it is much, much harder to see anybody inside the car. Margrethe then came out in a carriage. And I thought, okay, well, we'll be able to see a little bit more of her. That's good. But then, yeah, the camera, I, we were texting about it separately. And Grace said to me that she's never seen show ma so many aerial shots of <laughs> a city because that's it, it, the cameras didn't seem to be following the route. Um, there was a lot of the soldiers, a lot of the crowds. So, I mean, I think in total, I saw like Prince Christian for maybe 10 seconds, if I'm being <laughs> generous. 
it wasn't the most exciting event for me. I'm sure if you were there, it was great and part, you know, you were part of the um the spirit of it all. But like as an observer, you didn't really get to see much of the people who the event is actually about. But uh, but I will say, I don't really, I'm not a procession girl. I said this in a few episodes because I'm not really a military person. I'm not really a horse person, but I think it would have felt really empty without it. It was a good idea to have the procession because it did make it feel a little bit a little bit fancier. It was giving sort of registry wedding vibes for a while. Um, I like the fact that every time you say, um, I'm not really a like procession person, you immediately follow up with. But the best part was the fact they had the military there. I can I, I, I contain multitudes, Grace. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I also had, I had a tiny little bit here about Mary's outfit because we did yeah. technically get a glimpse of it. So it was a white dress. I really liked that it was white. It makes a really stark contrast in the images from Margrethe's accession to the throne, because obviously she came to the throne when her father died. So she was in mourning and she was wearing black. And I felt like it was really nice that Mary, like it felt very conscious, like a really deliberate visual contrast. Yeah, I was really interested before the event about what colors they were gonna wear, because like, it's not, like you said, it's not a, a death event, but it is like an end and a beginning event. So I was like, is it going to be, are they going to be blacks? Is it going to be whites? Are they going to be like purples or reds for Denmark? Or, But yeah, and I I thought, I also was like, I, it's going to be really boring if they all rock up in a coat dress. So I was really impressed with Mary's outfit. Because I was like, oh, it's giving me something. It felt yeah. like a very like fancy version of a sweater dress. It's one of these things where you know the pictures are going to be everywhere. And because it's not the most visually exciting day like that's going to be the go-to pictures of the balcony shots later so you want to make sure it's a memorable photo so then it was time for the council of state meeting which is the actual part where the abdication happened um and because it's the council of state meeting that's very private we didn't see anything for a while <laughs> because they can't film that um but we have had pictures and things obviously afterwards um, so we know that Margrethe is the first time we had like a proper shot of Margrethe in purple, which is a very royal colour, so 10 out of 10. Um, she was sat at the head of the table where she normally sits in Council of State meetings. Uh, the Crown Prince Frederick was there and Prince Christian was there. And then Margrethe signed the form to say, I'm, I quit, that her handed her notice unofficially. Um, and then she stood up and they all did a bit of like, musical chairs so Fred sat in Margrethe's seat and Christian sat in Frederick's seat and Margrethe awkwardly stood by the door and said God save the king and then she just went she was done <laughs> bye well then carried on from it when it started off I was really irritated because I'd assumed that it would be like whatever needed to be done privately could be done privately and then they would ha turn the cameras on and have people come in for the actual abdication so then when it didn't happen, I was like, I cannot believe that I got up early for this. Like, I didn't see them in the cars at all, almost. And now I'm not actually seeing the abdication. Like, all I got up early just to watch a man stand on a balcony for seven minutes. I don't, what was the point of this? <laughs> um, and then I went to the Royal website because I thought, okay, well, maybe they will put pictures up straight away or they'll put a video up or something so that I can see it quickly. However, the Royal website has just a blank has just a page that says that it's shut down to make changes uh, because of the change of rain. So you can't access 
anything. And also I went on the, their social media and they had been linking to pages on their website like an hour before the application actually happened. I was like, why are you linking to a website that you either is closed or you're about to close? It, it's very <laughs> frustrating. So that felt like slightly poorly planned. You know, we talked last week about how the rollout of this has actually felt really well planned. And, and this was the first moment where I was like, I, I don't think that they've thought this through. Yeah, it's like you've had time to update your Instagram bio. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Not exactly. Not me a link. Come on, guys. But then they did, as you say, they did eventually show it sort of slightly later on. There obviously was like a bit of a delay. And yeah, it was just, it was very matter of fact. She signed some papers. She left. She apparently said God save the king before she left. But it took me a few watches before I even noticed that. I think the difficult thing is that I don't speak Danish. So I didn't know that like she would, she'd said God save the king. And I didn't know what anybody else said in the meeting. So... I'm, I'm, I can't pick up very easily on like the tone. Like I saw a lot of Danish people talking about how emotional this moment was. As somebody who doesn't understand the language without like a physical display of emotion, it was quite difficult for me to like pick up on that. Um, that's not a criticism. It's just like, you know, the difficulty of royal watching in a different language. But the one thing that did stand out to me was like, I don't know if he was trying to hold back tears because some people do this when they try to hold back tears or if it genuinely was how he felt. But Frederick looked like a, a six-year-old at Christmas Day. Looks <laughs> gleeful. I think he managed like, to hold it back quite well until the uh, the, uh, the actual abdication was signed. Yeah. Um, which could either be because he was so happy or so emotional and he was like, oh, no, that was hit me. But um, yeah, then it was, It's there's, there's a shot with Margrethe walking out the door mm-hmm. in the background and he's sat there like the head of the table <laughs> and, yeah. and he just looks so happy. Yeah. Yeah. Like when she said, God save the king, one of the reasons I hadn't realized where it happened is because, yeah, he, I understand why. I'm not saying this was a rude thing or anything, but he had his back to her. He was sitting at the top of the table and he was just, you know, he was just sitting there. Um, and it was sort of like he kind of looked back, like, oh, are you still here? It was, just... <laughs> like, this is my day now. Like, uh, I've got this. I've got this, mum. It's okay. So, yeah, she seemed, I mean, she seemed quite emotional, but it wasn't like, you know, it was very Margaret. It wasn't like falling down crying. There weren't big physical hugs. There weren't like kisses and stuff in that moment. It was, and she kind of then went home. I, I do really love this. This I don't, She's always had this energy. So it feels very right. Yeah, I did laugh when she, she just kind of walked out. And I shouldn't have because it, it wasn't particularly funny. But it was just the image of it, of her being like, I'm done. Like, that's me done. I'm not even waiting for you to, you know, get out of the chair to have a little off-screen hug. I'm gone. You can imagine her, like, putting on sunglasses when she walks out and getting into a, a you know, a sports car um, <laughs> and just driving off into the sunset. It was very much like that. And then it was done. Then he was, you know, he was King Frederick the Tenth. I kept seeing that. Obviously, I, I, it was in Danish, but I kept seeing, like, Frederick X, something, oh. something, something. Yeah. And I was just like, Frederick something, what what does this mean? I was like, and then after a while, my brain kicked in. I was like, oh, Frederick the Tenth, not something about Twitter, which is where my brain went. I was like, Frederick, something on Twitter. Weird thing to be putting up so continuously in this uh, live stream. But that's not what they were saying. I made a joke on Tumblr, which I do think went very underappreciated. <laughs> about whether or not Frederick would be similar to his relative Malcolm. Um, <laughs> making a Malcolm X joke. I thought it was funny. Um, <laughs> yeah, so then the next bit was the proclamation. Um, so this is essentially the moment where the prime minister declares uh, that Frederick is the king from the balcony uh, in front of the people. So immediately 
the doors opened, Frederick walks out, massive, massive cheers, and oh, bless his little heart. Um, <laughs> he was weeping. And it was actually quite endearing. It was so sweet. I think like at this point, I very much mentally switched off. I was eating dinner. It was on my phone on the side of the table and I just had to keep tapping this live stream to keep it going. And I was like, is there any point really? Yeah. <laughs> and then he came out and it was just like, it just looked like, like when you just surprise someone on like their birthday or something and they were like, oh, oh, this is lovely. Yeah. <laughs> Except it was a very well-known thing that was going to happen. Yeah, definitely. It was uh, it was very joyful tears. It was like happy tears. You never know how somebody's going to react in that situation. And I, I thought it was just very sort of sweet and endearing that he was like blubbing like a little baby. It was very cute. <laughs> um, and then the prime minister came out onto the balcony and did a little speech. I didn't understand any of it, but there was an echo, which made it sound very dramatic. So whatever <laughs> she was saying, it, it sounded great. Um and she basically, I think basically she says, hey, this is Frederick. He's the king now, King Frederick X, the, the end. And then Frederick steps up and he gives a short speech himself. I didn't realise she was the prime minister for a while. And I was like, who is this woman? I was like, that's not what Mary was wearing. And I'm pretty sure that's not Mary. So who is she? This is my <laughs> new wife. Um... <laughs> yeah, surprise. Yeah, I, so then Frederick gave a short speech himself. And he said that Margrethe has essentially, I'm going to paraphrase, but he said, he said, Margrethe has spent 52 years following the times while also keeping tradition in mind. Uh, and he called her a monarch beyond the ordinary. Um, he then said he hopes to be a unifying king. He's been waiting all his life for the job and he takes it on, quote, with respect, pride and great joy. And then he said, and again, quote, I need all the support I can get from my beloved wife, from my family, from you, and from that which is greater than us. I face the future knowing that I am not alone. And then he announced his motto. I have seen different translations of this. I know that the Danish royal family have an English, have some English pages on their website. Um, so I'm sure that the official approved translation will come out in due course. But I, it was alliterative, like there was alliteration in the Danish version. So the translation I've seen that I like the best because it keeps the alliteration is connected, committed for the kingdom of Denmark. That makes more sense than bounded, which is the yes. other one I'm seeing the most, because it took me a while to figure out what they meant by that, because my head went to like bounding. And I thought, has he tried to hit a running pun in there? Because I thought that was a joke people were making. Yeah, it's always difficult with translations because like the literal translation often sounds silly. And like connected is sort of bound. And then I've seen other people say that instead of committed, I've said obliged. But I think if they mean, I'm, I'm getting this, the vibe of the um, what the motto means, but I want to keep the illustration. So that's the translation I'm going with for now, but they might tell us, oh no, we changed it. It's something else. So, I mean, good speech, short, snappy, hit all the points it needed to hit, not groundbreaking, but did the job. I like the fact they have mottos. I didn't know they had mottos until the abdi uh, Margaret abdicate said she was going to abdicate. And I saw a bunch of people being like, I wonder what Fred's motto will be. I was like, what do you mean what his motto will be? And that's how I learned that uh, somewhere else have mottos. And I went on a bit of a thing. We were like, oh, that's a thing now. But yeah, I quite like that. I think it's fun. 
yeah so we are going to do an episode on mottos at some point um not to do a spoiler alert but it is on our agenda for the future but just briefly like some monarchies have the same motto like in the uk have the same motto and it just travels through the monarchs um whereas in denmark they all sort of they all pick their own motto when they become monarch the only the most notable thing about his motto from what i've seen is that i think that he is the first danish monarch not to mention god yeah i think someone said since like the 1700s maybe there was one then who didn't yeah so it's definitely notable he also didn't mention god in his speech because so the the monarch of denmark is also head of the church of denmark um and he spoke about quote that which is greater than us which i mean (laughs) i'm just gonna say as an atheist i don't really know what that's supposed to mean for me because i don't believe in fate or (laughs) destiny so i don't believe that there is any kind of thing that could support him other than his family and the public which he's already mentioned so i but I appreciate that he attempt he made an attempt to be inclusive, I suppose. It's just that as you know, as a person who doesn't believe in God, I'm sort of like, I know what you're trying to do, but that means nothing to me. Um, so you know, but yeah, he made an attempt. Yeah, I'm not saying he's not religious, but it did very much sound like when someone who's not religious tries to be religious, they're like, uh, yeah, you know, spiritualism. Yay. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, he said he was going to like be committed to being an inclusive monarch. So it was probably an attempt to like recognize that not everybody in Denmark believes in God, but some people might believe in other deities or they might believe in fate or destiny or uh, luck or so I don't know, something like that. But yeah, it did. It, there, I, I have read that there are like some voices in the Church of Denmark who are a little bit concerned that he is not religious enough. But that's, I mean, doesn't impact me. So. <laughs> Yeah, but other than that, I thought it was, you know, um, short and snappy, didn't ramble on, did it well. And I like the fact he wore his reading glasses. Yes. Representation for people who wear reading glasses. I respect that. Yes. I, I mean, I wear glasses all the time, but also, yes, appreciate people, especially because he's, he's quite attractive. I think Frederick's quite attractive. Um, yes. When he's beardy, when he's clean shaven, he's not. But when he's beardy, he's quite attractive and handsome. So I'm hoping that maybe glasses will become cool again but not cool like where they were when I was young and people who didn't need glasses would buy like cheap pairs of frames from Primark and pretend they needed glasses and it's like this is a disability you're just literally trying on my disability for fashion like (laughs) don't do that um but but cool in the way that like people are like oh she's got glasses she's attractive sort of thing anyway this is a total ramble (laughs) (laughs) um yeah, so that that was you know uh, quick thing, and then um, the prime minister left, or she'd already left by this point, I think, and then the family joined him eventually. So Mary came first, then Christian, then the other children, and then they kind of went out again in that same like re- in reverse order. Mary came out, she was in tears. Frederick was in tears. Uh, there was a little bit of a kiss, and she was wearing white, so it gave me strange wedding feelings. <laughs> um, the children completely unfazed, it seemed. I just I was watching Josephine and Vincent and they were like oh my god we're here again <laughs> they were just done yeah they were like oh I had a birthday party I could have gone to this weekend and I couldn't go yeah dad's gotta become king yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah what a burden um yeah it was just funny to me that like Frederick and Mary were so overwhelmed and the kids were just like yeah of course these people are here to cheer us on like we're great 
Oh yeah, I liked because when Mary walked out, because Mary came out like maybe a minute before Christia did, and Fredit really like clutched her hands like we've done it, and they was like sobbing and kissing, and it was I could just imagine all those like the Daily Mail with their think pieces on Mary and Fredit's relationship ready to go were like, damn it, I'm gonna have to rewrite that one, <laughs> take the hands away from the posting trigger. I imagine they had like two versions prepared. One was about how. <laughs> They look really tense with each other. Um, and then the other one is about how Mary and Frederick defy their critics by holding <laughs> hands on the balcony sort of thing. Because they do that all the time. But yeah, so yeah, it was it was a very sweet moment. I'm glad that we got to see all of them because I wasn't sure if it would just be Frederick or just be Frederick and Mary. Um, and maybe the children wouldn't be there. You know, I, you, we didn't know what level of involvement, especially the ones outside of Christian, who are, you know, who are not the heirs. We didn't really know how much involvement they would have in the day. So it was really nice that we were able to see them. And they did an encore, which I always find funny when royals do that. <laughs> yeah, it's like, surprise, we're back. Yeah. Um, yeah, I did think when Christian came out on the balcony, because he blocked me seeing Isabella because he's so tall, I was like, harsh? Yeah. Just left the other three aside, have you? I was like, oh, no, they're there. Sorry, take that back. Yeah. My yeah. anger's misplaced. I would like to know, poor M- Marie's husband was just... Uh, sat inside like came all the way from America for this yeah he well he was in a car I think at one point um but I didn't see him at all at least we saw Harry <laughs> yeah at least he sat down yes honestly um but yeah I thought it was a, it was a short short and sweet and kind of boring the, I, I'm, I'm trying to think because I you know the tendency is obviously to compare everything to the British royal family because there are royal family the most famous one it's it's not a coronation so it's not going to be the Dane, uh, the the like the British celebration, and that's fine. It's got it's got its own merits. It's its own thing. But when I think back to like similar events from from other royal families, I think of something recent like Leonor's eighteenth, and I think that because we had more, we had longer speeches, um, and that kind of thing, it it felt like a more substantial event. This was just yeah it was just very short and we knew it was going to be short but you know it was just like I'd expected to be able to see more of them during the procession and I'd expected to be able to see you know maybe some words and interaction during the council of state and I'd expected um maybe I thought Margrethe might be on the balcony with them with the family to say goodbye to the country yeah I think my favorite parts were like the completely unscripted like emotional bits like, yeah Frederick crying uh, the, yeah Frederick crying on the balcony him and Mary holding hands the shot of Margaretus of walking off from the council of state or even the night before when there were those mm-hmm. little video clips of Margaretus's head at the window watching so like saying goodbye like they were like the sweet nice moments that I'm gonna remember from it and all the like important diplomatic stuff I'm just I'm gonna forget next week I'll be like did that happen what did they do there Definitely. So, you know, it's done now. <laughs> there are fun. other things that are happening, but they're happening like while we're talking or after we're talking. And they're also like the more boring stuff, like changing flags. <laughs> so about flags happening. Yeah, some flags <laughs> are moving around. Uh, so yeah, and that is that brings to a close. I was trying to come up with a name for Daisy's abdication. So uh, we, sorry, in case people haven't listened to our episode on Margrethe, her nickname is Daisy. That's a very common nickname for Margaret because the French version of Margaret um, is also the name of a Daisy. And so it's quite a 
common nickname. And so Margarita is called Daisy by her friends and family and by me, um, even though <laughs> I don't know her. Uh, and so I was trying to come up with some variation of that, of like pushing up daisies. <laughs> that's an expression that means somebody is dead. And obviously she's not dead, but she's like, she's gone. It's over, her reign. Um, so I was like, oh, pushing up Daisy. Uh, is that, does that work? But then I just, you know, no, I gave up. So it's, it's you know, the, the punchy nickname for this is da- the uh, abdication of Queen Margaret II. <laughs> that's as punchy as we get. Oh, yeah, so snappy. <laughs> Rolls off the tongue. <laughs> so, yeah. So, for the second part of today's episode, we thought we would use the abdication of Queen Margaret II to look at abdication in general. Um, and obviously we decided we would start by looking at what an abdication is. And I decided the most logical place to start was with the etymology of the word abdication. <laughs> because abdication is from the Latin word abdico, which comes from ab, which means away, and the dico, which is proclaim, because it comes from the the di which is the speaking part and the co which is the out loud part so it all comes together to mean proclaiming going away and way back when it would just meant resigning so i like to think that people are like i'm abdicating for my role as a farmer yeah but <laughs> now we just use it for monarchs unless you're the pope then you get to have your own special title mm. but yeah now we just use it for monarchs resigning rather than farmers sadly Yes, um, we should bring that back for the the wave of farmers that resign. Um, <laughs> they can't stop resigning those farmers. Uh, very good. I love a bit of etymology, so that that's lovely. Um, and I also did Latin at school, so should have known that. Didn't. Yeah. So the language has evolved, and now it only means when a monarch gives up their throne. And it is my pet peeve. I no, no, no. It's stupid because it doesn't impact anything in the world at all but it is my pet peeve when people say something like oh do you think prince andrew will abdicate the duke of york title he can't he's not the monarch you have to be the monarch <laughs> in order to abdicate it's also um so this is the difficulty about this topic which you'll see as we go through our next section which is the line between abdication and deposition so this is not so much an issue now because monarchs are not really deposed now. Um, but historically, there were situations where a monarch was violently overthrown, and that would be a they were deposed. That's a deposition. Um, however, there were also cases where somebody turned up at the doors of the palace and said, "If you don't abdicate, we'll kill you." And so that is an abdication because they did abdicate. <laughs> Um, but it was under duress. So there is a really fine line between a deposition and an abdication under duress. And I think some of it is just based on, there's that famous quote from the US court, which is actually about pornography, Um, but it's, uh, you know it, I I know it when I see it. Like how he he was asked to define pornography and he said, I know it when I see it. And um, it's the same thing of like, some of this is just based on feeling of what is a deposition and what is an abdication. Yeah, I think, we are, spoiler alert, predominantly focusing on European monarchies mm-hmm. because we initially considered the world um, and then realised how many people have abdicated. But 
there are other countries, for example, a lot of the Middle Eastern royal families had a lot of deposed royals in a row because of some of the political instability. They were just deposing each other. So <laughs> it's a little bit simpler just looking at predominantly Europe. Yeah, like I'm just I was just thinking, like, imagine if we looked at like the Turkish, the Ottoman Empire, because <laughs> they, they had to literally create a, a prison just for the other children, the other sons of the monarch, because there was so much killing each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we also start with current monarchies, because otherwise we would literally never leave the room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, our next section is a is a breakdown uh, based on Europe um, of the sort of history of abdication in each country. So who has abdicated and why did they abdicate? Um, and uh, it was really interesting doing this research, very time consuming, but I did really enjoy it because there was a lot of countries where I had no idea that they had all of this history of abdication. And I think we're going to cover more royals in one episode than I think we've <laughs> ever done before or any royal podcast has ever done before, probably. Yeah, we're just doing the whole of them. <laughs> yeah, every monarch. Um, I think I looked at every monarch at one point or another. So let's let's start off easy. Let's ease us in gently um, with a royal family that only has one abdication, which is Monaco. And I should say that for countries like Monaco or Luxembourg, where their status has changed over the years, again, as an effort to try and keep this shorter, we started looking at monarchs based on when the country kind of reached the, the stage that it is now. So Monaco was not always a principality. It was just a little random place. And so we didn't count when it was a little random place. Same for Luxembourg. When it was a duchy, we didn't count the monarchs. We only counted when they became when it became a grand duchy. In terms of Monaco, since it became a principality, there has been one abdication, which was Jacques I, who abdicated in 1733. Uh, and it's an interesting story because he was not actually meant to be king of Monaco, or prince of Monaco anyway. Uh, he was just a French nobleman. He actually had his claim through his wife, uh, Louise Hippolyte, who was heir to the throne of Monaco. Uh, and it was decided before, when they got married that Jacques should rule alongside Louis, uh, Louise uh, Hippolyte, which is actually quite common, uh, it, less so by that point in time. But um, throughout history, you'll see lots of situations where female royals reign alongside their husbands, who's not a royal, because... Um, Together, she brings the leg legitimacy and he brings the genitalia. So together, <laughs> they can do the job, was the attitude. Um, however, Louise Hippolyte became Princess of Monaco and immediately backtracked and decided that she would be the princess in her own right and she wouldn't have her husband, which is, you know, hashtag girl boss is what I've written here. <laughs> um, so love that energy from, from Louise. And then, then she died. And Jacques decided, okay, this is his moment because their child was underage. And he decided, I'm going to be the, the prince of Monaco now, like I was supposed to be the whole time. However, everybody, nobody liked him because he'd been seen as being very power hungry. Uh, he was not very good at being prince of Monaco. Basically, nobody liked him. And so the opposition to him forced him out of the country in 1732. And then about 18 months later, he abdicated. And that's Jacques I. And I'd like to point out that all happened in the span of about two years. <laughs> it was a very short reign. Yeah, they've only had one application, but it was a dramatic one. <laughs> yeah, so our next country that we're moving on to is Spain, because they're relatively close to Monaco, is my logic. Um, <laughs> and there's loads. Look, 
we're going to try and rattle through this as quickly as we can while still keeping it interesting. But there is loads. I mean, we could do an episode on Spanish abdications alone. The first one I had, he was Charles V was his most was the name that he is known by historically. But in Spain, he was Charles I, who abdicated in 1556. And I think I mean, this is based on just what I assume um, he might have the record for the most abdications in one go because he was king. He was the Holy Roman Emperor emperor. Uh, and the Holy Roman Empire occupied almost all of like Central Europe. Uh, he was also uh, king in Austria, in Spain, in Sicily, in Naples, in Milan, and he abdicated all of them pretty much. So I, I don't think there's any other monarch who has abdicated almost every nation in Europe um, in the way that Charles did. You kind of got to respect it a bit. If you're going to abdicate, do it right. And yeah, basically the reason that he abdicated um, in 1556 and I quote, I can no longer participate. So basically he had severe gout and a lot of other health issues. He'd also suffered some setbacks in terms of losing wars and his he wasn't very popular, um, but it was largely health related. Was So that was the first sort of abdication in, in Spain. The next one is, an, is one of the few monarchs who falls in this category. So this is Philip V who in 1724 abdicated the throne. And the reason he abdicated was because he had a severe mental illness. Obviously, mental illness was not as well understood in the 18th century as it is now. But based on this, it seems like it was quite cyclical. So he could do his job sometimes and other times he couldn't. So it sounds quite similar to sort of bipolar disorder. But he had this severe mental illness and he felt that he couldn't do the job. So he abdicated in favour of his son. However, his son then died nine months later. And so he is one of the small group who abdicated and then just became monarch again. And he reigned for more than 20 years. Which I respect. I like the fact there's a couple of them, surprising number, who abdicated and then came back. And they tended to be ones who abdicated and were like, because I think I could do better ruling with power. And then it didn't work out for them. (laughs) Yeah. So those are kind of the older ones. We're getting into some more modern ones here. Grace? Are we in the Bonaparte era? We are. Um, not officially called the Bonaparte era, but... Napoleonic era. <laughs> the Napoleonic era makes more sense. Um, the uh, the first of this bunch is Charles IV, 1808. Um, and he is very interlinked with his son, Ferdinand VII. So we're kind of going to do them at the same time. So Charles was the king and there was lots of, as is Spain's right, revolts and you know, people wanting power. It was the French Revolution era. And he decided in 1808 to abdicate after um, a particular revolt. Um, And he gave his throne to his son to sort of lessen the pressure on him. And then he went to Napoleon and asked him for some help. I'm like, look, we're having trouble, Napoleon. Please come and help us so we can take back over our country. And Napoleon said, "Uh, great idea. How about I come and help you? And just let my brother be the king. Yeah. And that's how Ferdinand VII abdicated very quickly after becoming king. And his uh, Napoleon's brother, Joseph Bonaparte, became the king. And Joseph Bonaparte was already the king of other places. He was like the king of Naples. And he did not want to be the king of Spain. No one particularly liked him because the people who were loyal to Charles and Ferdinand didn't want this interloper in there. People who didn't want a monarchy in Spain were not happy to have another one. Um, and it kind of put France in charge of Spain as well, which was never a good sign. There was this whole massive Spanish revolution against him. A lot of um, churches were sort of rising up. There was 
fights breaking out everywhere. So Joseph went and hid in the north of Spain. And then he was like, okay, how about I abdicate Napoleon? That sounds fun. And Napoleon was like, no. Um, he uh, started to get support from Napoleon, was sending across support from France and more like French reserves to support him and back up his claim to the throne. Um, except it never happened because there were always uh, revolutions and rebellions against him. And then fairly soon afterwards, he abdicated because he realized he never had control over the country. <laughs> yeah, so Spain had um, three abdications in five years there. Uh, it's very dramatic. Yeah, Charles in March of 1808, Ferdinand in May of 1808, and then Joseph Bonaparte in 1813. Uh, so yeah, Charles and Frederick essentially forced to abdicate in order to make way for Joseph. So the moral of the story is never trust Napoleon, um, <laughs> which is a very good motto for modern life, I think. And um, but then Joseph was forced to abdicate himself five years later because nobody really wanted him. And also the French forces were starting to lose out, I believe. So a lot of the people that Napoleon had kind of put in place were their regimes were starting to crumble. And then Ferdinand came back. Yeah, he came back. He's another one. A little bit of actual monarchy time. Yes. Yeah. So he's another one who came back after he'd abdicated. Yeah. Yeah. Surprising number. The next monarch, um, or who abdicated, it was Isabella II. So she became queen. She uh, was in a very unhappy marriage. There were lots of mutinies. Um, all sorts of things were going on. And there was a lot of political backstabbing going on behind the scenes, as is known. But she did reign for 63 33 years before she abdicated so she had a good chunk of time because a lot of these abdications are within a couple of months and then in 1868 there was a mutiny um in somewhere in spain called cadiz and that started something called the glorious revolution which was um a particular uh one of the many revolutions in Spain, but this one was specifically about sort of getting rid of the monarchy as they are want to do. Um, And that's why this is a contentious uh, abdication because essentially within, in 1968, she was deposed. 1868. Uh, Yeah, 1968, that was far too recent. In 1868, she was deposed. Um, And then she went to France and hid, and then she did abdicate officially and sign the form in 1870 to her son. So whether or not you can as an abdication or a deposition, that's on you. There had been an assassination attempt on her as early as like over a decade before she was uh, pushed out. So it seems like, you know, she reigned for 33 years, but a lot of that was quite unhappy. (laughs) (laughs) And then she kind of was immediately followed by Amadeo the First. I love Mm -hmm. the name Amadeo. I really do. They should bring that in the back as like a popular name. Yeah. Anyway. There's a Belgian (laughs) one. It, it, yeah, there is. That was quite handsome. Yes. Anyway, um. Anyway, after the Glorious Revolution and Isabella went off to France, they thought the best thing to do was to put in another monarchy, but from a different group. So rather than it being a Spanish family, it was the House of Savoy. So the Italian sort of royals um, sent someone over. So he was linked to the Spanish royal family. He wasn't a complete no one, nobody. He was a descendant of Philip of Spain. Um, so he was elected elected king in 1870, so just after Isabella abdicated. He, when he was elected, his chief supporter, General Prim, was assassinated. 
and Amadeo just kind of did the oath next to his corpse. Yes, I thought that was very fun when I read that. This was 1870 as well. This wasn't a long time ago, really. Yes, but obviously his reign was not a quick, nice, pleasant reign because the people that supported Isabella II didn't like him. The people who didn't want a monarchy definitely didn't like him. Um, His best bud had just been assassinated. There was like the Spanish... um, Other places that Spain ruled, like Cuba, were fighting back against Spain. They wanted to be their own country again. And then... In 1872, uh, he was shot while in a royal carriage, uh, carriage, carriage, as possibly, probably an assassination attempt. But at this point, Amadeo clearly knew the jig was up, and he decided that the best thing to do was to abdicate very shortly after. So on the 11th of February 1873, he was like, "I'm done." So he abdicated and also ended the monarchy in Spain temporarily. <laughs> in a one fell swoop. Yeah, I think this is a very clear example of Spain not really knowing whether it wants to have a monarchy or not. Um, and that's something that has happened over and over again in Spanish history of like, they'll try it and then they don't like it. And then they'll try it again. Cause like they got rid of Isabella cause they didn't, a lot of them didn't want a monarchy, but then they had a monarch anyway. Um, and then they didn't really like him anymore. Yeah, he called the people of Spain ungovernable. It's like, this is on you. You are just, I cannot deal with this. I'm done. Yeah. I would love to be considered ungovernable. (laughs) Yeah, most people, like, when they quit, don't go, this is honestly just your fault. Most people are like, okay, it's kind of me. He's like, nope, I'm innocent in this. You are just awful. I am not doing it anymore. Yeah, this is a you problem. Yeah. (laughs) I'm choosing myself, guys. (laughs) Like a rom com. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Alfonso. So then we we reinstated the monarchy and had uh, a little bit of a minor break in proceedings. Bear in mind that was 1873. And we're now two monarchs later. We're in 1886 um, when Alfonso the 8th, no, 13th, yeah. came to the throne. Oh, yes, it's 13th, um, isn't it? Not 8th. Yeah, I would have said 8th yeah. as well. No. <laughs> well, I just expect it to be 8th. But yeah, Alfonso the 13th came to the throne he obviously went over the first world war so he was in that period of european instability called the period up to the second world war um so again it's spain he got married when he got married they tried to kill him Mm -hmm. he didn't die and there was lots of um military coups and uh dictatorships rocking up all over the place and he stayed somewhat chilled until 1931 when um, the Republican coalition of different Republican political parties in Spain won the election, essentially, and took over. And they were like, right, see, the thing is, we don't want a king. And they got to uh, the, spoke to the armed forces, and the armed forces uh, kind of said, yeah, we're not really going to defend the monarchy if the politicians don't want us to and Alfonso fled the country 14th of April so two days after the election they declared another republic and then he went on to officially abdicate um, that year slightly later that year after he'd fled Um, but once again left Spain in the hands of a republic and not a monarchy yeah we love Spain and the messiness of their history Um, yeah I think you know he, he made some unpopular choices after the war kind of pushed the limits of his constitutional power. I think he took Spain into another war, which was very unpopular because they'd just been at war. Um, and there was a military dictatorship for a bit. And historically, he'd been quite good friends with the people in the military dictatorship. So even though he tried not to 
show too much support for them. Like a lot of people were very upset about it. And then the next and final Spanish monarch to abdicate so far is um, King Juan Carlos. So we had Alfonso, then there was the Spanish Republic, then uh, General Franco, and it became a dictatorship. And then in 1975, Juan Carlos Carlos I took over as king. And he had a very successful and popular reign for a very long time. And he was very beloved in Spain until (laughs) 2012, when his uh, popularity suddenly dipped because all these different rumours came out at once. So in 2012, we've spoken about this before, but there were pictures of him taken big game hunting in Botswana, which only came out because he injured himself. Um, I think he broke his shoulder or collarbone or something. Yeah. So they, the uh, palace had to announce that he'd been hunting big game in Botswana, even though he was the head of the World Wildlife Foundation Spain branch. And that caused a whole kerfuffle. People were very angry. He had to step down from a lot of things. In the same year, his daughter Infanta Cristina and her husband Iñaki um, were arrested for embezzlement and financial crimes. And Inyaki obviously was found guilty and went to prison. Just to add, he was also on that elephant hunting trip with his mistress, uh, yeah. which was so found was... out. And and he's, his wife is exceptionally popular. So people were really, really angry that he had this kind of flagrantly flaunting his mistress and going on holiday with her. And then in 2014, he announced he wanted to abdicate um, because he didn't want his son to wither like Prince Charles. Um, and I was like, dude, he's the godfather of your son. You're the godfather of his. And he kind of was like, yeah, I'm abdicating. I'm really old now. I want to move on to the next generation. Um, not clearly, um, which it could have been, but also he was not particularly well liked. So he abdicated in 2014. Uh, I think it's naive to assume that the scandals didn't have any impact. However, Juan Carlos has been quite ill. Someone like Margreta, someone who was beloved in their country, that was who Juan Carlos was. Whereas now he's almost like worldwidely disliked um, within the span of 10 years. So it's quite an impressive downfall. (laughs) Yeah, so our next one, we are moving on to Belgium. Now, Belgium is a newer monarchy. It was founded in 1831. I do think that's funny that we would say it's a newer monarchy. Like if you told an American this institution was founded in 1831, they'd be like, wow, that's so old. Whereas we're like, oh yeah, it's pretty, pretty recent. Although then the Japanese will look at us and be like, oh, wait, your monarchy was founded in uh, when there was four numbers in the year? Uh, <laughs> yeah, 1066, what was on that? <laughs> we'd already existed for a thousand years by then. Anyway, the first abdication, because they're a new monarchy, there's not as many, but the first abdication was Leopold III in 1951. So this is another one that kind of links back to a war. So in 1940, he surrendered Belgium to the Germans. And essentially, the prime minister said that this was an unconstitutional act because he hadn't sought the advice of the government. The He was placed in German imprisonment for a little while. And then after the war, he said, oh, I want to come back to Belgium and be the king again. And political figures at the time kind of warned him and said, we don't know if it's a very good idea because there are genuinely still people in the country who think that you committed treason by submitting <laughs> to the, the Germans. And also... So Belgium is an interesting country because it's kind of a mash together of lots of different uh, languages and cultures. And so there was lots of rising tension at the time and they thought that him coming back just wouldn't be very good for them. So there was some warnings, but he wanted to come back. The public voted on it. And in 1950, he was allowed to return. But it 
pretty much immediately caused an incredibly violent strike and three protesters were killed by police. And so to avoid a civil war, he abdicated in response. His was like the second one I looked at and it was so dramatic. It really set the tone for where I was going with this. Yeah. You've got, you know, Nazi invasions. You've got him trying to speak to Hitler to smooth things over. Winston Churchill was standing up being like, don't be like that evil Belgian King Leopold. And it was just, I was, yeah, didn't know there was so much Nazi Germany uh, links to the Belgian royal family. I was very interested, very invested in this plot twisty device. Yeah. And then the other abdication was King Albert II in 2013. So we're moving into a more recent one that some of us might remember. So it's another interesting one because um, he, so he was in the midst of a court case at the time because um, a woman named Delphine Boel, I think that's how you pronounce it. um, She claimed that she was his secret love child. I'd been born from an affair that he'd had and um, that she, and she wanted to be recognized as his daughter and, and, Eventually she was, she got, we'll talk about that in another episode probably someday. So there was a bit of a scandal at the time. However, it wasn't bad enough that he probably couldn't have got through it. And apparently like when he told the prime minister that he was going to abdicate, the prime minister like begged him to stay on because he was actually still, he wasn't that unpopular. It was like one scandal that he probably would have been able to get over if he'd handled it in the right way. He's the one where, um, you know, he claimed that it was because of his age and because of his health. And I think I actually do believe that because his scandal was actually comparatively minor. Like he could have got through it. And again, Albert has been very, very sick since he abdicated. And it's, you know, regularly, the few times we see him, he's, you know, w- can't walk unaided and kind of things. And he'd only been king for less than 20 years. Yeah, because he inherited from his brother rather than his father. So yeah, he hadn't been monarch for this massive long period of time. So he definitely could have sort of held on to the throne. Um but then I think in the post-abdication of Albert II era, it's it, looking back, I think it was the right choice. Yeah. So moving to Luxembourg, the first one we have is Grand Duke William I of Luxembourg. But he was the Grand Duke of Luxembourg from 1815 to 1840. And there was all sorts of things going on and... This was back in um, things going on, such as the dissolution of the Holy Roman Empire, which I always forget happened fairly recently mm-hmm. and not in the Jesus era. Um, Napoleon's going around doing his Napoleon things. He did a little treaty with King Frederick William III, um, where he gave part of the Netherlands to Prussia in return for becoming the Grand Duke of Luxembourg, which is how he took over there. Um, and then he did some royal things and some religious things and those religious things such as reforming the faith and changing some of the language up a bit started to cause negative Mm -hmm. feelings towards him and then there was a revolution in Belgium in 1830 um, and he was did have failed miserably at crushing that rebellion so in 1839 Belgium became independent their own country so he was really upset because he had been the king of like three places he just lost an entire country they didn't they now got to be their own people he also wanted to marry his wife had died he wanted to marry henrietta de ultramont who was a roman catholic 
um which and is belgian awful and also belgian it's like yeah. all the worst things um, <laughs> apparently in, in luxembourg in the 19th century being belgian and catholic was the worst thing in the world so everyone was furious about this they were like how dare you you are the reason why we got lost belgium because you changed the religion and she's belgium anyway so he thought you know what i'm gonna do this for love and yeah. he abdicated in 1840 pretty much it. i mean he, he showed very little interest in the look in luxembourg throughout uh so it was a separate independent nation that's why we've included him but um he treated it as an offshoot of the netherlands and tried to force dutch on them tried to force catholicism on them various other things that were very unpopular so it's no wonder that they were kind of like uh. and then when belgium got independence they're like, oh, excuse me um <laughs> that was us um so then we jump to 19 the 1900s um where the grand duchess marie adelaide of luxembourg so she ruled during World War One. She came to the throne in 1912. Just call it a throne in a grand... I don't know what we call it. Anyway, yes. I'm going to call it a throne. Um, however, um, and she is German. She was descended from Luxembourg royal family at this point, was obviously had German links, oh, uh, William II. And people kind of assumed during World War One that she supported the German forces because she wasn't actively opposing the German invasion because the German forces were stronger than the Luxembourg forces. Luxembourg tried to hold out, but they didn't. So essentially they're like, no, come on in, just try to kill us. So everyone was like, you German sympathizer. Um, her and her sisters worked as kind of nurses during the war. And as a result of that, they would care for any soldiers. So Luxembourg soldiers, French soldiers, German soldiers, which also didn't really help. And then she ended up sort of coming towards the end of the war. Um, dissolving the okay, I've written down Chamber of Commerce, and I don't think that's what it is. Parliament. My brain must have turned off. There. Yeah, <laughs> dissolve the Chamber. It's of probably Parliament. it's probably Chamber Chambre de something. Um, but your brain automatically fills in commerce when you see Chamber of or secrets. <laughs> yeah, Chamber of Secrets. Because okay, it probably was not officially because they were annoying her. However, it was probably because they were annoying her and. Mm sort of not letting her sort of make choices they were being annoying so parliament were like right that's it abdicate and she was like no that doesn't seem fair um the republicans started being like right this is a republic now you can't stop us we are a republic by the end of, by the start of 1919 she had to abdicate because uh the country was about to tear itself into little tiny pieces i think it's interesting that maria adelaide is another example of somebody who her behaviour during a war was what ultimately led to the disillusion with her. Like she might have been able to survive some things if she hadn't been seen as putting up so little resistance to the Germans. And actually her sister Charlotte, who took over um, during the war, she chose to leave Luxembourg because she'd seen what happened to her sister in World War One. If they stuck around and their country was invaded, then they had the difficult situation of having to decide whether they surrendered or not. And if they did even though it might be the right thing to do in a lot of these cases, people were not very happy about it. Um, so she did not have any children at that point. She was only 24. So she was followed by her sister, Charlotte, Grand Duchess Charlotte, the famous one that all the hospitals in Luxembourg are named mm -hmm. after. Yeah. Um, in early 1960s, she started to sort of give all the responsibility to her son, like the Queen did with Charles. She started that little takeover, uh, takeover of responsibilities but essentially abdicated because she'd been doing the job for 50 years and was done with it at that point <laughs> she was old 
I think there was actually a quote from her where she said that she was 68 and she felt like she'd reach retirement age. <laughs> Which is fair. That's true. <laughs> well, yes. Um, and then she was followed by her son, Grand Duke Jean, who is the father of the current Grand Duke. So he was monarch from 1964 to 2000. Did nothing wrong. I saw quite a few quotes saying he had a faultless career. Um, clearly was like, yep, I'm old now. You're retired. He abdicated, retired from work, didn't get seen for like another year, and then died shortly afterwards. Well, like 20 years afterwards, but shortly in terms of monarchy. <laughs> yeah, this is the first example that we see of the tradition of abdication, which will come up in a second um, again. They abdicated not because they necessarily had any specific health issues, but just because they were older and they felt it was right. Jean lived another 19 years after he abdicated. But that's Luxembourg. Uh, so my next one is Holland. The first abdication, thankfully, this is going to be an incredibly quick one because it was William <laughs> the first who we just mentioned in Luxembourg and all of his reasons for abdicating were pretty much the same. I've not got any, I've just been like, yeah, he abdicated both for the same reason at the same time because he wanted to marry this woman. Yeah, done. Tick. Done. Tick, William. <laughs> um, so the first, uh, abdication I have after that was Wilhelmina, Queen Wilhelmina in 1948. So, um, she abdicated largely due to ill health. After the war, she had tried to stay on, uh, she was very popular, and she tried to stay on um, to kind of help with post-war unity. And like her, she'd thought about abdicating because she'd been ill for quite a while. Um, but her daughter said, no, stay on, help to keep the country together after, you know, as we recover following the war. Um, but then in late 1947, and again in the spring of 1948, her daughter Juliana had to take over because she had uh, ser very serious health issues. Uh, during those times when she was unable to work and Juliana was taking over, there were really important things that were happening, like essentially decolonization, the collapse of the colonies. And those are very important things for somebody to be dealing with who is not the monarch. Because her health wasn't getting any better and it was starting to impact her job, Wilhelmina decided that she couldn't do it anymore. Um, so she abdicated yeah, in, in 1948. Uh, the throne was inherited by her daughter Juliana. Uh, Juliana herself abdicated then in 1980. So Juliana did have a few scandals in the mid-70s because her husband was involved in a corruption scandal. Um, however, by all accounts and everything that I've read, everyone, no one really cared about Juliana's husband. Like, they cared about her husband being involved, but they didn't associate it with her necessarily. So she got through it all perfectly fine and everyone loved her. She was still incredibly popular. Um, so she decided to abdicate it seems just because she thought the time was right. She was about the same age as her own mother when her mother had abdicated. So we see an example here of what had been an abdication of, you know, because there was a specific reason turning into a tradition. And it was kind of cemented with Queen Beatrix, who abdicated in 2013. And um, essentially Beatrix, Beatrix is, I mean, Beatrix is still around. She still seems very healthy to me um still works regularly um she just said that she thought it was time for the next generation to take over so that's the netherlands <laughs> tick tick where um, are we going now i have sweden next just a note to say before we kick off that this is where the issue of what is a deposition and what is an abdication comes in because sweden had a sort of monarchy going right back to the middle ages and um a lot of them were just overthrown yes 
And can I just say, I very much associate Scandinavia with being this nice, happy place. But they were fighting nonstop. Oh, bloodshed. So long. Yeah. Yeah. It was very dramatic. Um, anyway, the first abdication we have is in the 1600s. So it was Queen Christina. She reigned from 1632, when she was 14 years old, um, until 1655, uh, 54. And then in 1951, she essentially had a kind of nervous 1651. Breakdown. 60, yeah, not, why have I written 90? 1651, <laughs> she did not live for 300 years. <laughs> 1651. I could understand somebody abdicating due to age <laughs> if they were 300 years old, to be honest. Yeah, I'd let that one go. Um, and obviously she couldn't necessarily be on the, do the queenly job she was doing. She had to spend lots of time away, relaxing, recovering from having a breakdown after being on the throne since she was a child um her popularity was decreasing and then in 1654 she abdicated and had to flee and she went all the way around to italy so she could be a catholic so, yeah abdicated to become a catholic where do i put that in my name the next one uh ulrika eleanor or eleonora unknown which one she preferred um so we are now in the 1700s and she was in love and she was marrying this lovely man and he was like oh you know what would be great if I ruled and you advocated and I ruled and then we'd kind of like co-rule so she thought brilliant I'm in love what could go wrong um so she abdicated so her husband could be the monarch and then he immediately backtracked and was like so thing is actually I want to be the king and you're not important and then they did not get on after that point but she's already abdicated so she's gone now it's a really sad story actually like yeah, I would never just... do. I would never abdicate my throne for a man. No. So our last one is um, Gustav. So Sweden does their numerals in the middle of the name for some reason. Gustav the Fourth Adolf uh, in 1809. Mostly he abdicated because he was rubbish. So he <laughs> he dragged Sweden into a yet again Napoleon's coming up because Gustav Adolf decided to drag Sweden into a war against Napoleon. And in response to that, he lost the whole of Finland um, to Russia. Then there was a military coup. Him and his family were all imprisoned. Um, and in an effort to try and save the throne, he decided to abdicate. Because um, he thought, well, nobody likes me, but maybe they'll still like the monarchy if I if I give it, give it up. Didn't work because his uncle took over. And then his uncle was the last monarch of Sweden before the Bernadotte dynasty which is currently on the throne which was put in place by ding 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 Napoleon so um <laughs> you know his effort to try and save the throne for his dynasty and his legacy didn't work boom done so moving to Norway the first two I have were middle-aged monarchs so the first one I have is Magnus the fourth of Sweden and seventh of Norway um who reigned from 1319 to 1355 and he abdicated the throne of Norway because people in Norway didn't like him and then about 100 years later Charles the 7th of Sweden and first of Norway was elected king um and then the king of Denmark at the time was like I kind of want that throne and he went can't have it I'm gonna get this uh, army of Sweden to battle you and the army of Sweden were like we know you're the king but we're not going to do that we're going to actually back Denmark in this situation um, so he was like okay I'll give Denmark the Norwegian throne then done so he also abdicated but then we get to like 
the slightly more modern ones who were a little bit more interesting. So Frederick VI, who was also king of Denmark, and he became king in 1808. And then um, there was something called the Treaty of Kiel, um, which separated Denmark and Norway. And he signed it, and as a result of that, had to abdicate the throne of Norway. Um, Christian the Eighth was Christian the Eighth of Denmark, or Christian Frederick of Norway. He became king that year, eighteen fourteen, um, and then Sweden immediately were like, no, I don't think so. Started a war, and he had to abdicate and give the crown to Sweden, as you do. And then we get to 1872 when they got a new monarch, Oscar II. Um, and in 1905, he not only renounced the throne of Sweden by abdicating, but he also renounced it for all of his descendants and family. So he was like, you know what, Norway, this is not how we're doing it. Have some new guys in charge. Christian Frederick had uh, said that he was going to be the king of Norway and he was going to secure independence for Norway. Um, but then he lost the war and as part of the peace treaty, he had to uh, abdicate. But that didn't mean that the sort of sentiment in Norway that they wanted to be an independent nation uh, hadn't, you know, that hadn't gone away. The This was an interesting thing. The Norwegians voted to leave, but the king refused to make them an independent nation. And then the politicians all resigned because he'd refused to do that. But he then refused to acknowledge that they'd resigned. Uh, so there was a massive constitutional crisis because no, because they all of the government weren't doing anything, but the king refused to acknowledge that they weren't doing anything. Um, and so eventually Sweden kind of organised a more official referendum um, and to just to sort of, you know, quiet everyone down, an official, more official independence referendum. And 99.95% um, of people voted <laughs> for Norwegian independence. So, yeah, they had some negotiations and then he went, nah, I'll give up the throne now. <laughs> like, okay, I'm done. Yeah. Yeah, so our next category is Denmark. Famously, as we've been hearing constantly throughout the last couple of weeks, it's been 900 years since the last abdication in Denmark. So the last abdication was 1146, Eric III. There are not a lot of primary sources from 1146, <laughs> um, so we don't have any idea why he abdicated, but I think he died in the same year. Um, yes, he did. So maybe health related? Yeah, I'd go with that. I'd suggest that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's short and sweet, Denmark. Thank you. <laughs> Next one is our bonus <laughs> European monarchy, which is Japan. Um, we've added them in because they've had a fairly recent abdication, yep. but also because for about a thousand years, Everyone abdicated. Can I just, yeah. So even like Japan's interesting because they have a whole section of their monarchy, which is, they're all probably legends. They're all probably made up. Yeah. Um, so even if you exclude those ones, I started counting as I was going through, because I, I, for all of this, I went through every single monarch that these countries have ever had. Um, and I went through the list and I was counting as I was going and I got to 30 monarchs who had abdicated and I was still in the 1200s. <laughs> So that's when I stopped counting and I thought, okay, I need to look at what the system is that is going on here. Yeah. And essentially there was this little thing where they were like, once children hit the age of three, where they can walk, they are spiritually right to rule. Um, so like a 1,500 year period where every monarch became monarch at about three and then abdicated sometime before their 18th birthday. Like some bit before, but after some abdicated like six, 
clearly they just felt it I aged out of the job um but yeah they were just <laughs> little babies little babies and were in charge they also had this thing called cloistered rule um which was where the emperor would abdicate but essentially still have power kind of like a job share um but for <laughs> the emperor of japan and usually they retired to a monastery which is why it's cloistered um, but they still worked and they still and this I think this conti system continued up until like the 19th century. So for, you know, it was kind of like even though you were giving up the throne to a, you know, you were giving up the throne to a three year old, basically. So um, you would still continue to rule in some way, uh, even after your abdication. So it was a bit more fluid in in Japan. There was one that I, I noted just because I thought it was funny. Uh, his name was Go Mizunu and he abdicated in 1629. And it was actually because of a controversy and not because of this whole thing that we talked about, um, because he allowed monks to wear purple robes and everyone got upset because this purple robes were supposed to be for cer certain monks and not other monks. And that caused him to abdicate, which I think is probably the best abdication <laughs> reason for an abdication of any on this list. That is my favourite reason for an abdication. <laughs> it's called like the purple robe affair. It's a whole thing. <laughs> I anyway. love it. Carry on. <laughs> anyway, so the first one I looked at, and I only really looked at that too, was Emperor Koikaku of Japan, who abdicated in 1817. And the only reason I included him was because he was the first monarch to reign for more than four, uh, past the age of 40 since 1586. <laughs> and then he was like, oh God, I'm ancient. And yeah. noped out of the job. Um, but the only other uh, relatively important one is Emperor Akito, who abdicated in 2019 so we very much probably do remember that one he mm. reigned for 30 years and then abdicated because he is very very old and has some declining health issues but what is most interesting was that considering everyone in japan abdicated non-stop yeah. for over a thousand years at this point you know like 200 years after the last one abdicated they needed to change the law because monarchs could no longer abdicate in japan so they had to change the law so he could abdicate because he was old but it was very controversial because i remember he wasn't actually allowed to say the word abdication in a lot of his speeches now we move on to the uk and even though i said that we were only doing the countries once they became the current sort of status that they are i've gone against that for the uk and i'm doing scotland and england separately just because i wanted to do scotland also sorry to wales sorry to northern ireland don't really know what was going on but i i literally just wanted to do scotland and i felt like i had to do england if i did scotland so that's why so the first one i have i'm going to go chronologically so i'm going to jump around from scotland to england but in scotland john Balliol was our first application in 1296 um he abdicated in a place called stracathro which is very well known for a service station now um how exciting fun fact he had signed a treaty with france and then um, Edward I invaded from England. Edward I invaded and he lost. And so he abdicated. And that's that's a very short summary, but that's essentially what happened. I uh, don't know why they spent so long in history lessons trying to teach us about John Balliol. Yeah, done. Done. <laughs> Next, I have Edward II, who was over in England in 1327. So people didn't like him, firstly, because he wasn't very good at killing Scottish people. <laughs> Right. You're not killing enough Scots. Um, so he wasn't doing very well in the battles against Scotland. But um, but the main reason um, is, and his, his story is quite famous because he had a quote unquote male favourite. Everyone hated him. 
and um, because he refused to kind of get rid of his uh, male favourite, there was a civil war. He was also at war with France at the same time, and his wife was Isabella of France. So she went over to France to negotiate a peace deal uh, on behalf of her husband. Uh, but while she was in France, she switched sides and she had a new lover and they invaded England together. Um, <laughs> love Isabella of France. She's one of my favourite royals. And because everybody in England hated him because of his whole, you know, his the way that he allowed his male favourite to have way too much power and his male, his, uh, uh, the dispensers, they were called, um, the family of his favorite they and everyone hated them so the barons basically once isabella and her boyfriend invaded were like oh well yeah we'll see we'll side with you definitely <laughs> and so after much dis discussion they sent a representative to the king and they said either you abdicate and we allow your son to take over or but uh, you know we will end your bloodline we will force you to abdicate and your your child will not be able to take over the throne faced with not much choice he decided to abdicate. Next, we have Mary, Queen of Scots. We're going back to Scotland in 1567. This is another one that was sort of an abdication under duress. So Mary was a Catholic. So immediately coming into Protestant Scotland, she was viewed with suspicion and people, and she was also a woman. So people were like, oh, she's a woman and a Catholic. Terrible, don't like her. And then in 1567, her husband, Lord Darnley, was murdered. And a lot of people believed that she did it or they didn't actually believe that she did it, but they knew that they could accuse her of it. And it would be a good reason to get her off the throne because she was also a woman and a Catholic. And this was just convenient. Uh, and then to make matters worse, she eloped with the guy who was considered to be the ringleader of the plot to kill her husband, a guy called Bothwell. And this is a topic for another day because she was very possibly kidnapped but to them at the time, they were like, okay, so your husband died. We all thought you did it. And then you ran away with the guy who we thought masterminded the whole plot. So a group of Scottish peers captured Mary and forced her to abdicate in favour of her infant son. And look, I love Scottish history in the 16th century because it was so messy. Base essentially, this was all because the Protestant lords wanted to have power and they didn't want Mary to have it. And by having a, mon a monarch who's an infant, you have more control. I like that. I feel like you learn more about Mary Queen of Scots in Scotland than yes, possibly did. I did in England. <laughs> I just get that vibe. Yes, we we did. Although I actually I read a book um, that's all about it's basically an examination of whether or not she killed Darnley, um, which is very good. I, I can recommend it to people on our Instagram. But then everything was pretty chill. We became the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, and then famously, possibly I think the most famous abdication in history, Edward VIII in 1936. So. Many people will tell you that Edward VIII abdicated for love. He abdicated because he wanted to marry a woman named Wallace Simpson and us Brits in our snobbish, you know, attitude. Mean way we have. Mean Brits. We didn't like the fact that she was American and she was a divorcee. We thought that was terrible. And so we forced Edward into abdicating to be with the woman he loved. Now that is the incredibly romanticized version of their story. <laughs> I mean, firstly, I saw articles that were in uh, various newspapers as early as 1929 that were talking about rumors that he was going to quit being monarch, that he just didn't really want to do it. So this is not something that came about overnight. Like for a long time, everyone had kind of thought, oh, I don't really think that he wants the job. I don't really think that he's going to be very good at this. Um, 
then Wallace was also believed by the government to be the lover of a Nazi. And so therefore potentially a Nazi asset or a Nazi spy. And this was in the run up to World War II. People could see it was coming. And Edward was an incredibly careless person who would show his girlfriend, who was also sleeping with a Nazi, um, official government documents, top secret government documents that were in his red box. And so in their, in the guise of the government, he was a threat to national security in a time when we were leading up to the biggest war that we have ever seen. Um, and he also, you know, when he wasn't showing off his documents to Wallace, he was also just not reading them. And so, yes, there was an element of the church in particular, and also it wasn't just the UK, it was also Australia and Canada and all these places who were like, oh, no, I don't think that the head of the church can marry a divorced woman whose husband is still alive. I don't think that's fair, blah, blah, blah. Um, but also he was really, really bad at it. And given the fact that after he abdicated, he allegedly did plot with the Nazis and did go, and he definitely did go and meet Hitler, I think they probably made the right choice. Yeah, so we made it through. We got it. We got there. Ooh, exhausted. Um, I hope this was interesting. I know we rattled through a lot of things, but um, I hope that you learned a little bit of something, but also weren't bored to tears by just us reading a long list of monarchs. Once, so, so we've gone through all of the applications in, pre, in, in the past. I think if we want to kind of sum up, I would say that broadly speaking, there are kind of two, there's like a spectrum of abdications. And on one end, at one extreme, you have the abdications that are entirely voluntary just because they think it's the right time, like the Netherlands and Luxembourg. And then at the other end of the scale, you have the abdications under duress, where literally, if you do not abdicate, it will be civil war or we will murder you. And then there's loads of stuff in between. So I divided, I, I ended up with one, two, three, four categories. Tradition. Okay. It's one of my categories, which is the Netherlands and Luxembourg, really. Um, second was ill health or incapacity. Yeah. So for some reason, they physically cannot do the job anymore because they're not very well. Um, my third one was um, unpopularity slash scandals. Um, yeah. So people who've resigned because something happened that was very unpopular and they were kind of pushed out and then my last category is war slash power struggles so like mary queen of scots she wasn't she really abdicated because other people wanted the throne or like the napoleonic ones where they were forced out because they lost a war and it was part of the peace treaty yeah i mean i kind of had those and then the other ones i had was just general unknown because some of them just kind of like noped out with no explanation um and then politics there was a few who just had to kind of interfered a bit too much and they didn't they weren't quite at the civil war level but they were politicaling themselves out of there and the last category i had was um abdicated for love and then some just abdicated so they can move to italy and become catholic <laughs> become a catholic as you do yeah. um okay so the Next section that we're going to do, uh, hopefully very briefly, is the benefits of abdication. So why do people abdicate? Uh, you know, when some when we have the traditional system of monarchy where somebody dies and somebody inherits as a result of the death, it means that the succession of a new monarch is always tied to the death of the last monarch. And so it sets the reign off in a very somber way. And I also think that if the death was quite sudden, for example, it's very difficult for somebody who is grieving 
to be the person who can bring the nation together um, during a time of transition, during a difficult time. And so it can set the rain off in a really difficult way for lots of different reasons. Whereas abdications, a lot of the time, even if the monarch is abdicating because everyone hated them, it can feel like a relief or like a celebration. The second reason I thought was um, the monarch has an incredible level of knowledge. When the monarch dies and the next one inherits, you immediately lose all of the knowledge that that person had. Um, whereas if there's an abdication, you still have that person around and you can still go and ask them things. So if Willem Alexander or Frederick have a problem, they can go and ask their mums for advice. And their mums were queen for a really long time or incredibly popular and have a huge amount of knowledge. Whereas if Charles wants to talk to somebody about an issue, he doesn't have the queen there to go and ask. Yeah, and I think it's notable that monarchs tend to last longer than politicians. So whereas in the Netherlands, they've got, you know, Beatrix there, who has been through multiple politicians in the UK. Um, Rishi, the current prime minister, has been on, you know, has been prime minister for less than Charles has been king, which is a really short period of time. The last one I had um, was it keeps the monarchy fresh. Yo, <laughs> um, uh, I don't think anyone said yo since 1998 but um, in the UK <laughs> in the UK I think we actually we quite liked having an old monarch because she was able to be this like grandmotherly kind of figure but I do think that in other countries in particular it can be beneficial to have somebody who is a bit younger being the monarch um, because I mean they're they're often closer in age to like politicians or to business people or diplomats or whoever they might be meeting in engagements they also might have more of a sort of grasp of the modern world like I can't really imagine the queen having a conversation with her team about whether or not the royal family should join TikTok and I think we did see that quite notably in the UK because for the last 10 years of her reign the queen wasn't able to go overseas um, whereas as soon as Charles took over he was able to go abroad and so now we're we're getting more uh, state visits we're getting better relationships with other countries yes I think um, like you said in some countries it is the monarch is sort of like a, a parental figure mm -hmm. um, I'm particularly I'm thinking the UK and Japan but then I think in Europe um, a lot of the like more modern countries they are more like a CEO mm -hmm. and you don't necessarily want your CEOs to be old and out of touch you want them yes. to be like up to date with the new hip ideas we're like <laughs> us <laughs> we're so cool so we've said the words yo and hip in the space of about five <laughs> minutes um i actually do have one other thing um and i actually think that the involuntary abdications are a really big benefit of the monarchy and i'll, I'll explain the main criticism that people have of the monarchy um as a concept is that it isn't democratic However, if you look at examples of the involuntary abdications, the sort of abdications under duress that we've had over, the, that we gave earlier, they were almost always because the people and or the government hated the monarch. <laughs> um, so I think, it, you know, it is true that we don't vote for the monarchy. We don't vote for the, our head of state. 
However, I still would argue that they draw their legitimacy from the will of the public, which is democracy. That's what the definition of democracy is. So history has shown time and time again that if a monarch crosses the line, they won't last very long. And my comparison I've got is like, they're, they're like weebles. Do you know weebles? <laughs> yes. So weebles are children's toys that have like a weighted bottom. And the slogan of weebles is that weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. And I think that that's what is going on with monarchies. I think you can, you can push a monarchy by, for example, having somebody who decides that they want to be an absolute monarch. And that's like pushing the weeble over. But then something happens, something kicks in where we've decided that person has crossed a line. So we remove them and then the weeble like finds its way back to center. We all, when we talk about the benefits of abdication, we often talk about like the voluntary abdications and all the great things that come with that. But I actually think that the involuntary abdications, the one where they were forced out by the public are the most, are the most interesting to me because to me, they demonstrate the fact that actually a monarchy can work in tandem with democracy. Yes. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I thoroughly enjoyed the uh, Weevil analogy. Weevil, yeah, Weevil's not wobble, but they don't fall. Monarchies wobble, but they don't fall down. I love it. So if abdication is so good, we've just run through four benefits of it. Why doesn't everyone do it? Um, And I think um, one, one reason why everyone doesn't do it is tradition. We spoke about how some monarchies now have a tradition of abdication. But traditionally, the way monarchies were passed down was from heir to heir, often after the death of the previous monarch, either through old age or war. Um, and monarchies are at the heart traditional entities that like to do what has happened for hundreds and thousands of years. And that's why they're so popular, because they're a, st- a stable thing that doesn't fall down. Um, <laughs> so mm. that's essentially it. That's why a lot of monarchies don't. Uh, abdicate because they are traditional entities that do traditional things yeah the connotations of uh, the word abdication differ and it won't it won't it's interesting because it won't be until george has children where we have a generation of direct heirs to the throne who didn't know someone who was around when edward the eighth abdicated Oh, wow. So, uh, you know, the royal family believe that George VI died prematurely because of the stress caused by his brother's abdication. In ne- the Netherlands or Luxembourg, they've had a few generations of people who were very popular, abdicating at the height of their popularity and it being a good thing. Another reason is leading back to religion, because many monarchies are very intricately linked with religion. The leader of the Danish royal family, the British royal family, are all sorts are the head of the respective church religions of those countries um and religious vows are for life like a marriage vow so for example the british queen queen elizabeth ii took the vow uh whenever she became queen and was then going to follow that vow through because she was a deeply religious person it's 2024. I want to get rid of the idea that we all believe that the monarch is anointed by God because I've genuinely had messages being like, <laughs> how can people think that the monarch is anointed by God? If this? And I was like, no one does. It's 2024. Um, <laughs> but there is, for very religious people, which the royals are, they are making an oath in front of God that this is essentially a marriage to the nation. So I do think that it's very serious to them to break that. Yes. And I only had one other benefit which is kind of, no, not benefit, Why another reason why they're not doing it, which is society slash what is the point. 
So I think this very much depends on the culture of the country where the monarchy is, because I think it was fundamentally different in the Netherlands and the UK, because in the Netherlands, they accept abdication as part of the, the, the done thing. Whereas I think in some places, if monarchs are abdicating, there is kind of a vibe of then what's the point of having them? If it's just a normal job that you can quit, then it's not this extra special thing that's separate from politicians or anything else, because you could theoretically just have 10 year monarchs or 20 or 30 year monarchs and you know kind of when they're going to end. Um, So there is a kind of a, if monarchs are, I don't want to call them special, but they're in like their own Mm -hmm. little category. And if you take away things that make them special in their own little category, like they rule for life, then suddenly people go, well, why why do we have them when we yeah. could just have someone else? Yeah. Even if you look at a fairly secular country like Sweden, I mean, obviously, Carl Gustav could turn around next week and decide to abdicate. I don't think he will, because when he was asked about it, his the head of the court said, here's his statement where he said he's not going to abdicate. Um, <laughs> so there's no plans. But, you know, there was no plans for Margrethe to abdicate. But if you watch documentaries and things with Carl Gustav, he talks about be the king is being like being the king is like his identity like to him he is king 24 7 he's not he doesn't go to an office and become the king and then go home and be somebody else that it, so in a way it's like giving up the throne is kind of would be giving up who he is who he has pledged to be for his entire life and so I think that even in amongst those secular monarchies where there isn't like a religious component to it there is a very serious sort of idea that like this, yeah, this isn't a job. This is, which I, you know, I always say my mon- my motto is like being a royal is a job and I still support that. But, I, you know, to them, it's like, it's more than a job. It's a duty. It's a responsibility. And so there isn't a time limit on it. You don't retire from it. That's a, I did not know he said that, but I think that's a really good point because it's always a thing in my head where I think if I was a monarch, I couldn't abdicate because I'd be like, but I'm too emotionally attached to being the queen. Yeah. So I yeah. get that. <laughs> Well, that's why they all cry. It's why Margrethe was crying because like they're giving up everything that they've known for decades. Who are you if you're not the monarch anymore? What a problem <laughs> to have. I wish that was my problem <laughs> in life. Oh my God. Mm. So that is all we have got for this week. We hope you enjoyed the uh, coverage of a recent event and then us talking about things that happened in the uh 12th century um we will probably return to this episode uh this topic more than once but possibly probably to look at the legalities of it unless you know something really dramatic happens um and then at some point when the next 10 years we'll be back to look at the other countries because i did make notes on them and we are going to cover them feel free to uh head to our instagram page to look at any sort of links we can find from the abdication of Margareta and also to look at any previous episodes we have Um, but until next week it is goodbye from me and goodbye from me